And we're going to be looking at certain passages all the way through chapter 11, verse 6 this morning. Um, We're going to do that. But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning um, that you give us ears to hear. Father, that in your grace, with eyes on Christ and empowered by your Holy Spirit, that we would be a people walking in wisdom in the ways of God obedient to how you've called us and to live out our true identity of who you have called us to be in Jesus. So give us ears to hear and a heart to receive the word planted in our hearts. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So we are almost through Ecclesiastes. Just a couple more weeks uh, before we head into the Advent season. So exciting, and I hope it's been encouraging for you. And as we've gone through the book of Ecclesiastes, we have seen this big idea that those who live without God are living a life that is meaningless. But those who live a life with God, that's a life that really matters, a life that is surrendered to Christ obedient to his ways, seeking him, surrendering all things and allegiance to him, that really matters in the here and now, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of strife and worry and anxieties, in the midst of life that just seems so baffling, so meaningless that there really is hope now in everything that we do. And that really can only be found in living a life with God, with eyes on Christ, surrendered to Christ. And so we've been seeing through the book that here are the ways we live out in our everyday stuff of life, a life with God. And so in the passage that we're gonna be considering today, we're gonna see that a life lived with God is a life that walks in wisdom. That a life lived with God is a life that walks in wisdom. And so we need to ask the question, well, what is wisdom and then how do we get it? We got to start there, right? Um, I I did some background looking at some different definitions of wisdom and uh, from a variety of sources. Let me read to you some of the things that I found of how wisdom is defined. Wisdom can be defined as the capacity of judging rightly in matters relating to life and conduct. It can be defined as the ability to cope with things in your life or as the experiential knowledge. It could be defined as intellectual activity. It's even been defined as the legacy of parents to their children. It could be defined as the quest for self-understanding and for mastery of the world. And in reference to humanity, It's been defined as the ability to apply what we know in the right way, often with the intent of knowing what is right and then doing that which is right. So in some way, all of those definitions give us a snapshot of how we could define wisdom, but it is kind of hard, right? So if we're looking to the Word of God as the source of our everyday stuff of life. How do, we, how do we make it through? How do we walk and live a life with God? Hopefully the Bible's gonna give us some direction in that, right? And what we need to understand first and foremost is that any wisdom we can understand or actually uh, emanate in our life has to find its root and its source 
in God. That wisdom is one of the central characteristics of the nature of who God is. That God is wisdom. He is full of wisdom and might. And I want to look at some passages in Scripture that just talks a little bit about the wisdom of God. That God, in His wisdom, created the universe. Proverbs 3.19 says, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth, and by understanding... He established the heavens. In wisdom, God created mankind. The psalmist says in Psalm 104, 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Even the matters that we don't understand as humans, God fully comprehends. Job chapter 28, another Wisdom book, along with Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, says this in chapter 28. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. God's wisdom is completeness and knowledge and in the power in which he fulfills all that he desires to do. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 46 says this, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient days, what is still to come? What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. All wisdom must be rooted and grounded in God. And the wisdom that we can have as humans must find its true source in God, specifically in the fear and reverence of God. It's the writer of Proverbs who says in chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're going to go back to it. There's another one where it says knowledge, right? But he says in chapter 9 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we've talked a lot about this, that the fear of God is this reverent fear, this idea that my whole life is submitted to the Lordship of Christ I'm obedient, I stand in awe of the creator of all things, and I give my life to the one who is in charge of everything. I love him, I worship him. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so as we've seen throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the preacher who has taken us through this journey has taken us through this journey of contrasting what a wise life look like, looks like and what a foolish life looks like. And even in the midst of the brokenness of creation due to sin, we have seen that the preacher says that even if you live wisely, it seems to be meaningless. And even though you live as a fool, that also is meaningless. And as we continue through the rest of this book, we're going to see finally that meaninglessness does not win the day. That even though our wisdom is limited, it is still better than folly. 
And why is that true? Well, if it's true that all wisdom is rooted and grounded in God and that wisdom emanates from the very character of God and God has made us in his image to reflect to the world what he is like, then wisdom matters. And then we reflect wisdom to a watching world that desperately needs Jesus Christ. A life lived with God is a life that walks in wisdom. And so as we look at some of the scripture this morning, we're going to take a look at verse 13 in chapter 9. And again, as the preacher takes us through and contrasts what a wise life looks like and what a foolish life looks like, I want you to keep those two in mind. And as we've seen that this wisdom literature that Ecclesiastes is a part of, along with the book of Job and Proverbs, that wisdom and folly are always seeming to be contrasted together. Like, this is the life that fully is walking with God. It's a life of wisdom. And if you want to walk in the ways of the world, pursuing that which the world pursues, that's a life of folly, and it will only bring destruction. But as we've seen, the preacher also says, but even living in God's ways seems to make no sense. It's baffling in a world that surrounds us with so much problematic stuff due to sin, and we'll see a little bit of that this morning, but in the end, as the chapter, maybe your translation says, as it introduces this section in chapter 13, it says, wisdom is really better than folly. Verse 13, I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was Once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. It was the idea here was to trap the residents in the city. They couldn't get in or out. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise. And he saved the city by his wisdom, but nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, Wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools, and wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. As dead flies give perfume of bad smell, if they've died in a perfume and they give it off of kind of a reekness, a rankness, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The idea here that the preacher is telling us this story about what happens when a powerful ruler, a king, comes against a city and this king with might and power and social status comes against it, but there's somebody in that city just a poor man, a humble man who has a lot of wisdom. And somehow, the preacher doesn't tell us, but somehow through his wisdom, the city is saved from this powerful ruler, this king coming against it. But as soon as the city is saved, what do the people do? They forget the words of the wise man. In fact, they said that he's despised and his words are despised and his wisdom, whatever it looked like, is no longer heeded. 
And as you dig more and more into this section, you're going to see as you were, would read through chapter 10 that the preacher is really telling us what does a fool who's in position of leadership, whether it's government, education, whatever, what does that look like? What does a foolish leader look like compared to a wise man or woman in the way he or she conducts their life? And as you read this section, you come to understand that, generally speaking, when we look around our own lives, that the people in our culture tend to respect, tend to listen more to people of wealth, people of power, people of social status, than to those who are small, humble, and wise. We see it all around us, don't we? See it in politics. We see it in education. We see it in business and industry. We see it in globalization. I read a statistic this past week taken from the Wall Street Journal that said that 87% of those who voted for our president believes that his job performance is good. And they support it. And when they dug in deeper, why did you support it? Because they said, we are now a nation that's more wealthy than we've ever been. We are now a nation that seems to be more powerful than we've ever been. We are a nation that's guarding our borders. And they went on and on about talking about this. But in that same poll, those 87% said, however, we despise our president's rhetoric. And we despise his methods. Does the end justify the means? What is wise what is foolish? And I think the point that our preacher is telling us is, who are we listening to? So if a life lived with God is a life that walks in wisdom, it's a life that listens to wisdom. Not driven by wealth, not driven by nationalism, not driven by security in the stock market. It's driven by what is wise. And ultimately, what is the fear of the Lord? And what does that look like? As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. All it takes is one little word, one lying politician, to just ruin the whole mess, to ruin the whole perfume. Who are you listening to? The preacher goes on and says in verse 2 that the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. And even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. I like how the NIV goes real there. How stupid they are. So in the Bible... We often see that when the Bible refers to living your life to the right or going to the right or your right hand, it's talking about a life of skill, a life of integrity, a life that is godly. Whereas if you go to the left, or take the left hand of life, it's talking about deception and ungodliness, unholiness. 
And so the preacher is saying that those who are of God and walking in wisdom, they are going to choose what is right, and their life, their words, and their deeds are going to show them that they belong to God. And the same is true for the fool. He or she, their life will also reveal to the world what they're about. And it says that even the fool, walking along the road, lacks sense. The idea here is that the fool, even though they are on the road that all of us are traveling, they don't know their direction. They're lost. They need help, but they choose not to take it. And it reminds us of what somebody had just said just a minute ago from Proverbs 1.7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Have you seen people like that? They're walking their own road. They want to live for their glory. They want to live in their ways. They don't want anyone telling them what to do. They don't want to give their allegiance to anyone, certainly not God, because the fool, as the psalmist says, says, there is no God. I'm my own God, if there is. And I will walk the road, but I don't know the direction. I can't sense it. A life lived with God is a life that walks in wisdom. The preacher again in verse 12 says this in contrasting again the wise and the fool. Verse 12, words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly, and at the end, they are wicked madness, and fools multiply words. <laughs> no one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? What does the fool do? The fool is consumed with his or her own words. And the idea here is that the fool is arrogant. They're boasting in themselves. They're always talking about them, their plans, their wishes, their problems. And I think, honestly, we've seen that amplified in the world of social media today. Whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, we are a narcissistic people. Glorifying ourselves, our experiences, our desires, consumed with our own words. And in the end, the preacher says, those who do that, their lives end in wickedness. Their lives end in wickedness, in wicked madness. And they multiply words. It's the idea that they can't stop talking. You're probably saying, I know somebody like that. Doesn't necessarily mean they're a fool. <laughs> but what it's talking about is they multiply words with this idea of like, they know what's going on. No one can tell them otherwise. That's why the preacher says this little comment at the end of that verse no one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? The idea is that the fool says, you know what? I know the future. I know how things are going to turn out. I'm going to live the way I want. And the preachers say, no one knows that. Stop multiplying your words. 
A fool speaks rashly. Whereas the wise, what does it say in verse 12 at the very beginning? Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious. The writer of the Proverbs says this about gracious words in Proverbs 16, 24, that gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, and he says, be wise to the outsiders, meaning those who do not belong to the family of God. Be wise when you are among the outsiders, making the most of every opportunity that you have, and let your words always be gracious or full of grace so that you might know how to answer anyone. How has your speech been lately? Are your words building up or are your words tearing down? Are your words encouraging or are your words insulting? Do your words boast about yourself or do they boast in Christ? See, a life that lives with God is a life that walks in wisdom and it's a life that listens to wisdom and it's a life that speaks words of wisdom. And if you, like me, evaluated your own life this week, you realize that maybe your words haven't been as gracious as they ought to be. And so we rely on the promise of God that says in James 1, 5, that you, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. So you, like me, as you consider your own words and whether they've been foolish this week or wise, and if not wise, you come to God and you say, God, I need wisdom, give it to me. Help my words to build up, not tear down. As Paul says elsewhere, let no corrupting talk come out of my mouth, but only what is good to build others up so that it would give grace to everyone wherever they need it so that it pleases you and it does not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That's good news for us. A life that lives with God is a life that walks in wisdom and it stays away from the deceitfulness of the fool. I just want to read this verse in Proverbs 2. I think we have this slide. Proverbs 2, starting in verse 12. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who've left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Missio, we need to be a family of wisdom. Our lives are on display every single day in the lives of our kids, in the lives of the colleagues we work with, our neighbors, the coffee shops we frequent, the checkout employees that we encounter each and every day. Our lives are on display, so we are called to be a people of wisdom. 
We're called to be a people of godly, wise speech, not perverseness. This uh, Maisie, my freshman daughter, told me this story this week. As she was sitting in class with uh, a classmate, he looked at her and he goes, you just don't get my jokes, do you? And, and Maisie said, well, that's because they're horrible. <laughs> because they're, and he goes, well, so you don't like jokes that have profanity and obviously sexual immorality? And Maisie's like looking at him like, no, I don't. And he goes, well, you're just probably one of those people that just don't get it. You must be a rich, right, white girl, is really what he said to her. And Macy's like, what are you talking about? And so even in that moment, Macy got to say, that doesn't give me life. And he goes, okay. And we had this conversation of the idea of that in the eyes of the world, Macy looks like a fool. But in the eyes of God, she's wise. And so we are tempted all the time to give in to the foolishness of the world, which the world says is wise. Live for yourself. Live for your own glory. Look how the preacher says it in verses 18 and 19, chapter 10. Through laziness, the rafters sag, and because of idle hands, the house leaks. Through laziness, the rafter, I'm sorry, a feast is made for laughter, and wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. And the preacher is showing us that just like a house decays and rots and is left neglected, so is the fool who thinks that he or she can live the way they want to. They boast, consume with their own lips. They live a life careless where they say money is the answer to everything. See, the preacher is being cynical here. Elsewhere we've seen where he said, eat, drink, and be merry for the glory of God. It's a good gift. Here he's being cynical and says, the fool says, money answers everything. I'll live the way I want. That's the implication. Because the fool says, that's the way of wisdom in this world. But God says, that's the way of the fool. The Apostle Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 18 through 22, writes this, or through uh, 20, sorry. The Word of God says, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. See, the life that walks with God is a life that looks like a fool in the eyes of the world. Because your speech looks different, sounds different. You're not engaging in those jokes at school like all the others are. You're not laughing and, and engaging in, in improper and immoral jokes and conversations at work. You're looking for ways to build people up, not to tear them down. You're not gossiping about somebody behind their back. 
You're speaking words of life. Boasting in God, not in you. That's the life of wisdom. And the question for us, family, is will we live a life that is wise in God's eyes, but foolish in the eyes of the world? See, a life lived with God is a life that walks in wisdom, but looks like a fool in the eyes of a world that's so enveloped and ingrained in self and in power and social status and deception. So the preacher kind of shows us what a fool looks like, and now he changes gears just a little bit here and goes to chapter 11, and we're going to consider the first six verses And he kind of shows us what a life of a wise person looks like. And we can actually take these first six verses and we can say, and kind of summarize it and say, this is a life of faith. Because faith does not deny the existence of the struggles and difficulties of life. I mean, if anything, we've seen that through Ecclesiastes. But that faith in the midst of those difficulties summons us to surrender and submit to the God who is with us even through it all. That even when we can't understand the meaninglessness of life, the baffling things that we see not only in our lives but in the world around us, we can commit and submit our lives to the God that does all that he pleases, that fulfills all that he says he will fulfill. Verse 1, chapter 11, ship your grain across the sea, and after many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. The ESV and other translations will state verse 1 and say, cast your bread upon the waters. I always wonder, it's like, are we feeding bread to the ducks? What's going on there, right? Of course it's not going to come back to me. I never understood that. The NIV gives it a little bit more of an uh, understandable meaning here. Is the idea here is that in the Near East, the ancient Near East, when they would ship their grain, which was their resources, their, their prosperity, they were taking a risk. That, that, that grain, that, those resources could be lost at sea, but there was a risk involved. And so the preacher is saying, wherever you find yourself in life, get to it, live it. Don't be a person that says, well, what if? What if this happens? I shouldn't live like this. We, you ever seen the show Monk? Anybody ever watched that? One of our favorite shows, and this guy is so OCD, over the top, always afraid of everything, that he's paralyzed in fear. He won't do anything because he's always afraid of the what if. I felt like that before. In fact, the kids say, I'm monk. But the preacher is saying, you don't know what your life is going to be like, so Ship out your resources. The other ideas in the midst of our life now, where has God planted you to be? Invest in seven ventures. Yes, eight. The idea here is just keep going. Keep investing. You don't know what disaster may come upon you. Verse two or three, if the clouds are full of water, kind of ominous, 
They pour rain on the earth or whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, you don't know. And the place where it falls, there it's gonna lie. But whoever watches the wind will not plant and whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. The fool sits in idleness and in laziness and says, well, God, this could happen, so I'm, I just don't know, I'm not going to do that. I wanna tell you how this is working out in my life. Because right now, everything in me said, do not take this job as an administrator, because you said it would, you would never do it again, it was tragic for you before. And the idea here, as I read through this, is God is saying, no, 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 no. you're gonna act. You don't know how it's going to pan out, but you're going to trust me. The signs of my hand upon you are so obvious. Will you obey in faith or will you be like monk and say, oh, I don't know. I'm not going to act. You don't know, but don't be watching the wind and not planting. Don't be looking at the clouds and not reaping. As Verse 5, as you do not know the path of the wind and how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you can't understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. See, at the end of the day, you have no idea how life is going to pan out. Or do you? The one who called us is faithful. And he will bring us to completion. He is surely faithful and will do so. And so the preacher is saying, those who are wise will get to work. And where God has planted you, flourish with the power that he gives you. You don't know what's going to happen, so you're going to trust in me. The writer of Ecclesiastes said earlier in chapter 9, verse 10, that whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Another verse we have repeated throughout this series is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, I believe, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians 5. We have that, verse 15, but to back up, to set the context, in verse 1, of chapter 5, he said, be imitators of God. You're created in his image. Be imitators of God. Live a life of wisdom. Live a life of generosity. Live a life of gracious words. Live a life not of perverseness, but of holiness. And then he goes and says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And what is the will of the Lord? We want to know that, those of us who are striving to walk in the ways of God. 
Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, he says, the will of God is this, your sanctification. That's just a big word that means God wants you to look like him. That you are becoming more and more holy in your life and in your words and in your deeds. Your sanctification is the will of God for you. That God, through his son Jesus Christ, has rescued us from a life of foolishness and a life of ultimate futility into a life with Christ. And lastly, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians, again, verse one, or chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. He said, it is because of him, meaning God, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, what is the wisdom from God? That is our righteousness. God has made us right with God. He is making us right in everything we do now and will ultimately make us right when we see Christ again. He is our righteousness. The wisdom from God is our holiness that we become more and more like Christ in thought, word, and deed. Wisdom from God in Christ is our redemption, that we are rescued from the foolish ways of living that the world says is wise. We're rescued from that and brought into the family of God so now that in the eyes of the world we look foolish, but in the eyes of God we are wise because we're seeking to follow him. That is what we find in Jesus Therefore, as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in yourself? Let the one who boasts, boasts in your wealth. Let the one who boasts, boast on Instagram all about you and your experiences in life. No. Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord, who's given us wisdom in and through Jesus the Christ. A life that lives with God is a life that walks in wisdom, which is a life that lives in Christ. Father, we love you. We need your wisdom, O oh God. Give it to us in and through your Son and by the power of your Spirit that we may be men and women, children walking in wisdom, walking in the ways of God so that the world sees how good you are and that true satisfaction, true life that matters can only God be found in you and in your son Jesus who truly is our wisdom. Make it so. We know that you will surely do so in the name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit. Amen. And so we go to the table, and as we go and we take of the elements, the bread and the, the juice, we're reminded again and again every week that some people would say, this is really foolish. You get up early on a Sunday morning, instead of sleeping in, instead of going out, hanging out, 
and you go to a church building and you guys sing songs that seem really weird and then you take bread and you dip it, dip it in a cup and you say this is Jesus' body broken for you and it's his blood that washes away your sin. Like that's kind of weird. Yeah, to the world, it's foolishness. But to those who are saved by Christ, it is wisdom and it is life. And we need this every moment of our lives, the fulfillment of grace because of Jesus. And so the table reminds us that the one who was rich for our sake became poor, took on flesh so that he would be the wisdom from God so that we might live lives of wisdom and life. And the table reminds us again of the great sacrifice of Jesus the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God who gave it all for our sake and for the glory of God so that we might live, so that we might go out into the world today and every day showing the world that God is the only hope. Jesus is the only answer, the way, the truth, and the life, our full wisdom. So as you come to the table, take if your words have not been gracious, if your life has not been lived in a wise way, go to the God who says he will forgive and will give you grace and will give you wisdom. And then take freely, knowing that once again you've been renewed, you've been saved, you've been forgiven. The spirit of God dwelling in you to give you grace and to raise you up again. You are a resurrected people. You don't lie in the grave any longer because of Christ. So get to work in the power that God gives you for his glory and with the joy that only can come from him. If you're a part of the family, give your tithes and offerings. Come as you're ready, but I want to pray over our time. Again, Father, we know that we must come to you, the wise God, and we submit our lives to you. At the table, we are reminded again the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. Nourish our faith through these elements, the bread and the cup. Forgive us, O oh God, for we have sinned. We have looked more like the world than Christ this week, and we ask for forgiveness. Restore us, renew us, empower us, O oh Spirit of God, to be the missionary people living a life of wisdom. Father, may these tithes and offerings that our people Bring, they, may they be used for your glory to further your mission here, near, and far for the sake of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.